We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. Man, look at you guys. You look great. You look great. I'll tell you what, I just want to welcome all of the campuses that are joining us downtown Monterey, Mexico. We just got our mission trip team back from Monterey, our Monterey campus. Can't wait to have all of our Monterey campus do a mission trip up to Minneapolis. Come on. The frozen chosen needs your life. But hey, hey, we got churches joining us from all over the United States. Can we just quickly welcome them as well? We love you guys. We're so glad that we get to do church together. And uh, I'll tell you what, before we dive into our Bible text today, I wanna start by sharing a story that really sets it up. Once you get to know me, I've got a lot of real uh, awkward quirks. I'm actually a very awkward person, as my wife can testify. And uh, one of those quirks that I just can't seem to stop, and I don't know if I inherited this from my dad, who's sitting on the second row today, but I, I just... You know, he's a whistler and I whistle. I have this unconscious thing where I'm just whistling all the time. And you know, like, it's not like anybody's like, oh wow, you're such a pretty whistler. You know what I'm saying? And maybe, and maybe some of you are like, well, you don't know my whistling. I'm just like, well, okay. I, no, but the, 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 the thing that I've been trying to stop doing is whistling in my car because it looks really awkward from outside of your car when you see a person whistling in a car. I, I just, you know what I mean, and I, I figured this out the hard way this last summer. I, I was sitting at a stoplight just whistling a happy tune filled with the joy of the Lord, and suddenly this young stylish woman pulled up beside me in the car next to me, and of course she was driving a Jeep Wrangler, which at the time I was shopping for a Jeep Wrangler, right? This was like my, I was gonna get a new car and I wanted a Jeep Wrangler, and she had all of the cool modifications that I want on my soon-to-be Jeep Wrangler. So I'm looking up and down the car, and all of a sudden, I awkwardly got eye contact with her. You know that moment at a stoplight where you just, I'm, I'm like, I, I look at her eyes, and almost instantly, she turns to me with this angry, like, what the heck is your problem, you perverted man? <laughs> and I'm like, what, what did I do? And then I, I, I suddenly realized I'm whistling and I had the, it looked like I was giving her some awkward, seductive kiss lips. <laughs> I'm looking up and down her car, and like I was catcalling her, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and uh, you know, which you have to, I was horrified in that moment. I suddenly it clicked, and I'm like, because I'm a pastor, I would never give somebody kiss lips at the, you know, stoplight, unless it was like my lady, and I'd be like, but, but I, I, I literally realized what it looked like when I was whistling, and so then, to defend my pride, I, I impulsively rolled down my window to explain that I was whistling, and then I realized, well, that, that doesn't sound good either. You know, like, I, I just, and so then, so then, and then, but by this point, I'm already rolling down my window, which looked kind of aggressive, okay? So that, that's when I suddenly noticed next to her was her totally ripped boyfriend, And that guy looked mad too. It looked like he was like seconds from opening up the door, starting a full-on street fight. And thank 
God, the light turned green because I have never accelerated faster in my entire life and I'm pretty sure I broke every speed limit all the way home. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know I don't ever whistle in my car anymore, okay? And, and if that lady is here today, I just want to formally say I am so sorry. I really do like your Jeep Wrangler, though, and your boyfriend is really ripped. <laughs> but, uh, you know, church, that is why Substance does not have bumper stickers for our church. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Besides, I know how some of you drive. I'm just saying it would not be good for our church. But all jokes aside, seriously, how many of you guys know the world is filled with misunderstandings, miscommunication, with conflict, and that conflict will seek you out and it will find you even when you're joyfully whistling a happy tune. Some of you, you think, I'm not a very, you know, you're, you're kind of a conflict-averse person. Well, guess what? Conflict's going to come to you. It will find you. It will find you in your job. It will find you at your workplace. It'll find you in your family. And if you aren't good at learning how to communicate through conflict, how to resolve awkward, how to fight like heaven, then listen, you're going to have some broken relationships that are unnecessarily broken. We've got to become better at godly conflict and godly negotiation. And that's what we've been covering over the last several weeks is how do we make certain relationships work? How do we make it work when it's awkward? How do we make it work with, with really complicated people? Because how many of you know there are complicated people out there? Well, I just, you know, be, before we finish this series, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some of my favorite tools on resolving conflict. Uh, I, I just, you know, there, there's one of, two of the, my favorite resources when it comes to fighting like heaven, learning how to fight better, communicate, is, is using different modern science assessments that are based like personality inventories. Have you ever heard of like the Myers-Briggs type indicator? Um, it's a personality test. Or have you ever heard of like, there, there's other tests that are very similar to it, like Enneagram. Uh, I strongly encourage you, if you've never taken like a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram assessment, I strongly encourage you to do it, and yeah, there are some spooky stuff out there in regards to both of these things, but I, I actually pick out some of my favorites. If you just go to peterhaas.org, my blog, Peter Haas, or just type Peter Haas plus personality test, I have a whole bunch of free tests that you can actually take with books on this topic. Now, why are you recommending this, Peter? Well, I share this because, like, if I have an accurate Myers-Briggs profile or an Enneagram profile of, a, of like a random group of people, I can actually predict with statistical accuracy who will fight with whom and over what issues. And if you're wondering, like, how? Well, it's behavior science. This, there's all, it's developed to that degree where you can actually predict these things. In fact, I've got an entire Myers-Briggs book that can statistically predict the top five fights that you tend to have with your spouse. Think about it. That's why we incorporate that into our pre-marriage counseling here at Substance, because it's, it's freaky. I can even predict which vocations you tend to gravitate towards when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it's not, it's, it's literally just old school behavior science. And so I, I simply am saying these things to say, hey, um, don't go through life without using some of these resources. I can even predict which of you hate personality tests. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, right here. Okay, and the goal is not to pigeonhole you. The goal is just to help you become self-aware and, and start seeing people patterns, communication patterns where, where other people don't see it. It'll not only revolutionize your marriage, your parenting, but 
It's, I, I recently read a study proving that people who are good at Myers-Briggs or Enneagram tend to make more money than those who don't. They tend to get higher levels of promotion at work than people who don't. Why? Because you're going to start seeing human patterns that nobody else sees. Okay, to put it another way, you're, you're like a human bomb disarmer who knows, oh, you're one of the cut the green wire first people, you know, versus the red wire, you know. Uh, whereas a lot of people just go through life just kind of setting off bombs everywhere, right, and, and losing relationships. And so I, I, I encourage you, check that out on my blog. I have resources for these types of things. One last little freebie that I want to mention in my blog before we dive in is, is if you're out there and you're feeling stuck in a very complicated relationship, maybe you have an awkward relationship with a boss, a coworker, with a family member, and you feel a little bit hopeless in that situation. If that is you, I have an entire blog for you as well. Just Google Peter Haas plus Traffic Light. I have this blog on the traffic light of influence. It's 16 things that you can do to influence a hopeless situation if you ever feel stuck. And again, I, I, I've, I've preached entire messages on these things before, but I, I'm just, I'm throwing these out there in this series because I just want to make sure that you guys are, are very equipped to be able to resolve some of the tensions in your life that you might have here today. But with all that said, today what I want to do is I want to wrap up our series by doing a quick study on a, on a biblical character who went through a lot of conflict but did it in a very counterintuitive way. A guy who experienced difficulty with a, lot of, with a lot of people but resolved a lot of that difficulty. And of course, it comes out of the story of King David in First and Second Samuel. You see, I think we've all heard the story, the classic story of, of King David, which was David versus Goliath before he became king, right? Uh, ironically, Goliath was the smallest adversary that he had to face. I mean, David had so many enemies, so many betrayals. If you, if, I started actually listing them out at, at one point. I, I, I went through a season where I read and I reread and I reread and I reread First and Second Samuel, and I started outlining all of the enemies that David had. And listen, I, I, Batman had a lot of enemies, right? He had Joker, he had Two-Face, Penguin, Mr. Freeze, he had Bane, he had Riddler, Scarecrow, but get this. David had 10 times more. I mean, he had Goliath, he had Saul, he had Achish, he had Doeg, he had Nabal, he had Hadadezer, he had Joab, he had Ishbosheth, he had Hanan, he had Absalom, he had Shimei, he had Ahithophel, he had Sheba, he had Adonijah, he had Abiathar. I'm just getting started up in here. When you have more enemies than a cartoon superhero, guess what? That is impressive. Okay, the fact that I could pronounce all those names is equally impressive. I'm just saying. <laughs> but for real, you would think, you would think David would be one of the most bitter, controlling, vindictive people around. Why? Because every one of those names were not just names to David. Every last one of those names were a murdered friend, resulted in a murdered friend. Every one of those names was a deep betrayal. This was not just somebody who insulted them on social media, okay? This was a, this, every one of those names that I just mentioned either forced David to relocate to a new city. I mean, completely uproot his life and start it over in another place. Or it resulted in several murdered friends. I mean, you want to talk about betrayals, you want to talk about heartache, you want to talk about a guy who is victimized over and over and over again simply because of the call of God on his life. And yet, he was not this 
cynical, vindictive individual. And when you read the Psalms of David, it's almost shocking. I mean, yeah, he was an emotional dude, but it's almost shocking how soft his heart was before the Lord. And, and one of the things that you're gonna get out of studying the life of David is he did something very unique, and I wanna point this out right at the beginning, and if you're a note taker, write this down. David always focused on his own issues, not the issues of others. He always focused on himself, okay, which is kind of a, a, a unique skill that I think you and I need to learn how to acquire because in life it's so easy to get caught up obsessing over other people's sins. You know what I'm talking about? It's just so easy to be like, well, my boss and my boss and my boss and my boss. Some of you have been talking about your boss a little too much, okay? Or, or my family member, my spouse, my spouse, my ex, my ex, my kid, my kid. It, we, we get so obsessed with the flaws around us and we end up missing some of the things in our own lives that are actually resulting in some of that, that tension. Okay, when you study the life of David, it's rare that he blamed his problems on another individual. In fact, it's, it's really important that you understand one of the, the, the preeminent signs of health or a lack of health is pointing the finger. Okay, so if we're, if we're stuck in a finger-pointing position very often in our lives, it's usually a sign that we're out of sync with God. And, and when you study the life of David, Every time David had a, a human obstruction, a person that appeared to be standing in his way, be it Goliath, be it King Saul, David never saw them as the primary thing that was holding him back from promotion. And this is so important. He constantly saw his delays. He, he, he constantly, when it, when it came to delays in his life, delays in his promotion, he primarily looked inward at his own character and his own lack of intimacy with God instead of pointing it out at other people. Now I point this out because it's really critical you understand from a biblical standpoint, humans cannot stand in the way of God's promotion on your life. There is no human that can shut a door that God wants to be opened. Do you understand that? Now don't get me wrong, humans can irritate the heck out of you. Humans can inflict a lot of pain on you but they ultimately cannot obstruct the things that God wants to do in your life. If God wants to open a door and promote you, let me tell you, no one from the east or the west can stand in the way. Only God can exalt a man, the psalmist says. And so it's, so it's so critical that you ground your heart in that truth. Otherwise, you're gonna over amplify the power of the people around you. And of course, in my, if you read my book, uh, Broken Escalators, I talk about the Goliath myth. It's this idea, this false idea that humans can obstruct the promotion of God on your life. In fact, actually, believing the Goliath myth is what can obstruct the promotion of God in your life. Now, and I, I'm gonna prove that today uh, be, uh, just by preaching on a, on a passage of David that is kind of obscure. Most people don't preach on this passage. It's actually out of the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16. It's later on in David's life. At this point in David's life, he is now king. And uh, he had made some serious mistakes when it came to his son Absalom. And of course, Absalom actually uh, started to hate his own dad, David, and, and, and pulled off a coup d'etat, tried to do a revolution, kill David, um, take over the, the government. And so that actually happened. His, his coup initially succeeded, and David was betrayed by some of his closest friends. And so now, David, in, so to set up the context, David is running for his life. He had to escape Jerusalem so quickly that he didn't even get to put shoes on 
Okay, so just imagine this. King David is running shoeless into a rocky wilderness um, with just his closest soldiers around him. And so he's, he's finally escaping, and that's when he runs into a guy by the name of Shimmy. Shimmy was mad because he was, he was related to the former king and ha- carried a grudge, nursed a grudge against David the entire time. And so now all of a sudden this dude named Shimmy, which I know is a, a really, really cool name like Shimmy Shake, you know, uh, Shimmy, he, he now is thinking, okay, this is my opportunity to take advantage of David and get back at him in his lowest moment. And so he sees David running for his life and he starts picking up rocks and whipping them at David. Try, essentially trying to kill David on his worst day ever, right? So he's celebrating David's demise. He's rejoicing at David's misfortune. And remember, David's friends are being murdered at this exact moment, right? And all of, so, so, so Shimmy is, is, is celebrating. Finally, one of David's soldiers comes up to him and says, hey, David, should I just take this guy out for you? Should I cut off his head? I'll bring him your, I'll bring, I'll bring you Shimmy's head. And so listen to what David says in 2 Samuel 16.10. It's just kind of countercultural, right? And he says this. If Shimei is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, well, who can ask, why do you do this? Now, okay, really what, what, what David is saying in this, in this passage is he's saying, what if, what if God is using Shimei because I am flawed, which he, he knew. He was feeling, David was feeling guilty about his sin with Bathsheba. He knew that part of Absalom's coup was related to his own sin issues, that he's reaping what he's sowing. But then he's now all of a sudden saying, hey, what if God is actually using Shimmy to, to humble me? In other words, what if God is using him to test my character? I mean, what's fascinating about this statement is David is not worried about Shimmy. He's worried about himself in this moment, which is really counterintuitive, okay? David was almost in this mindset of saying, hey, Lord, help me to not add more sin to this already bad situation by making it worse and, and taking Shimmy out. And so, which is why the very next verse, David basically says, hey, if I keep my heart right, maybe God will reverse my fortunes. In other words, I'm just gonna worry on being promotable in this moment. And I, I think it's interesting because this really grated against the people that were around David, his loyal soldiers. They were like, come on, David. Like, if there ever was a time to play the victim, right now is that time, right? I mean, they wanted him to point the finger. They wanted David to pick up his sword, and yet David is like, no way. That's just gonna demote me worse, right? And God can't promote that kind of behavior. In other words, to put it another way, David never asked the question, what is justifiable? He asked the question, what is promotable? Do you see the difference? What is justifiable is very different than what is promotable, okay? For example, the same, the same thing actually happened a few years earlier with King Saul when King Saul was still alive. First Samuel 24, David's friends were begging him in First Samuel 24, just put Saul to death, come on, come on, David, no one would blame you, and yet David would say, well, I'm not gonna put to death the Lord's anointed. Like, I wanna honor the, the office of the king because I know eventually I'm gonna be king, right? He's like, but he, he kept saying, hey, vengeance is, it belongs to the Lord. If I do it, I'm just gonna lose my innocence and I'm gonna lose my promotability because David knew, again, doing what is acceptable, justifiable, is not the same as doing what is promotable, there's a lot of people who are out in our culture today who are like, yeah, it's justifiable. I mean, look at politics, right? That might be justifiable in politics, but is it promotable? Because ultimately, that's what we want. We want the favor of God on our lives. 
We, want, we don't want human influence. We want divine influence. And so David was very, click, uh, uh, very quick to focus on himself and avoid things that were justifiable but not promotable. And, and, and here's why, okay? Another unique thing about David that I'm going to point out in this passage is that the reason why he was able to do this is because David was convinced that God would defend him. And, and this is so critical that whatever thing you're going through right now, whatever trial you're going through, uh, just I, you need to understand certain promises of God that where he says that, that, that he'll defend us, okay? In fact, it's very interesting. Psalm 55, 22, it's actually a psalm of betrayal. It's David in the midst of a betrayal by a close friend. What he says at the climax of that psalm is he says, God will never let the righteous fall. David stayed convinced that God would defend him. And I, I think it's so easy when you and I have been hurt, it's so easy to feel like we're all alone when we're not. God is with us, and if God is for you, who can be against you? We, there, there's certain promises in scripture that we've gotta convert from head knowledge into heart knowledge, and I would argue today that there's probably a few of you who you know what God's word says, but you haven't, you haven't converted it into spirit fuel. A lot of people ask me, why do you memorize scripture? Why do you meditate on scripture? And, and what's the purpose of meditation? Well, meditation is the process of, of converting head knowledge into heart knowledge, okay? So when you meditate on scripture, which means think deeply on it, like meditate on every word. That's why I memorize it. It helps you meditate. And it's really you're converting truth into spirit fuel. Some of you, you have unconverted truth. It's like the raw energy, the truths of God's word, but you haven't converted it deep into your soul where you're actually believing what it says. And so, so again, take some of those promises, like Psalm 55, 22. Meditate on it. Get it inside of your soul. Forgiveness is, again, not a moment. It's a process. But in order to survive the roller coaster of that process, you got to convert truth into spirit fuel. And one of those truths you got to really keep deep in there is that God is going to defend you no matter what. And again, how do we activate justice? We talked about it this last week. We activate justice through forgiveness. Once again, the myth that we talked about this last week, forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. Rather, it's, it's, it's letting them off of your hook and putting them on God's hook. It's removing yourself as the conduit of justice. It's not, it's not overlooking justice. It's not overlooking boundaries. It's activating boundaries. That's what forgiveness does. It's tag-teaming your Father in heaven. And this is why, okay, so let's come back to the story of Shimei for, for, again, the guy who's throwing rocks at David on his worst day ever, okay? Look at what David says about Shimei in verse 11, 2 Samuel 16, 11. He says, leave Shimei alone. He's talking to his own troops who want to kill him. Leave Shimei alone. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. In other words, David is kind of like, just let God take care of it. You know, if, if Shimei is in the wrong today, God will take care of it. I don't even have to worry about it. In other words, let God, like, let, let, let's, hasn't there been enough bloodshed? Can we just, can we just step back and let God be God? I mean, think about that kind of approach to the difficulty. He didn't do what was justifiable. He did what was Promotable. Now, if I could be fully honest with you, when I first read that passage, when I first read this story, it really made me mad. I, you know how you like read certain Bible stories 
And it just, it's like the friction of God's word just catches you off guard and you're like, yuck. I mean, I, to be honest, I was like, God, why did you even put that dumb story in your book? That is a dumb, dumb story. That I mean, uh, oh yeah, sure, it makes David really look good, but really he's overlooking justice. At least that's what I thought in my head, right? You see, it, it, to be honest, the reason why the story of Shimmy triggered me is because at that particular time in my life, I was going through a betrayal. I was going through a really rough year. And then on top of that, I had this dude at Substance who was throwing rocks at me, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? There, there was this guy, this is years and years ago, there was this guy at Substance who was a well-loved leader here. And uh, he started listening to a bunch of really legalistic creatures, these podcasts, um, that were just these really mean-spirited podcasters. Like, we're saying, like, don't you dare go to those churches that like LED lights because, you know, like, God hates color. <laughs> and he hates variety, right? It was like, as if that's, you know, like, these, these guys were like, don't ever go to those churches. They're compromised. And the, this is how you know you go to a good gospel church. Every Sunday, the preacher makes everyone, lets everyone know just how bad of a sinner they are. In fact, the podcaster literally was like, hey, you need to com clearly communicate that you are the wart on the back of a toad. That's you. And you need, you're a sinner needing grace in your life, which I believe you are a sinner needing grace. I'm a sinner needing grace. But the, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit does that, John 16, 8. He's the one who convicts the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. We don't have to judge people because guess what? Sin judges people all by itself. It's like a natural built-in law of sowing and reaping. You touch the hot stove, you get burned. I don't need to judge you because the stove will judge you. Do you know what I'm saying? But this guy, he was listening to this podcaster, and he, he finally determined, you know what? Substance is completely compromised. We don't care about the gospel. And so he came up to me, and he said, Pastor Peter, you are a twisted leader. Um, you've never once preached the gospel um, the entire time I've been here. And, and I'm like, well, what do you imagine the gospel to be? And he goes, well, it's, you know, people need to know they're sinners all the time, and you're not doing it the way I believe it should be done. And of course, you know, like if, it, if this accusation were coming from some random church member who is already weird, I would have been like, yep, saw that coming. You know what I'm saying? Because some of you are kind of weird and you know it, right? You know, it, it wouldn't have surprised us had you come out and, were, you know, like you were weird before you were a Christian. Now you're a weird Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know how that works, right? I, I just, it, but, but it, this was not one of those guys. This was a guy who was like really socially sharp. At least we thought so. This was a guy I thought, you know, a lot of people really respected them. I respected them. I like this person, right? And yet he, he ended up, this is what he did, is he, uh, I finally told him, well, dude, I, I, let's agree to disagree because here's, and I showed him all these different Bible verses and he was like, no, no. And, uh, and so he went away, he wrote a five-page letter just with some of the meanest things anybody's ever said to me. And he actually ended up sending it to like 20, 25 people in the church with an invite for them to leave the church along with him in protest. And of course, what, what made it really weird for me, I, I think, is if that wasn't already weird enough, is that several families that I also love decided to go with him and said, you're right, this is a completely unbiblical church and we're gonna leave. And, and of course, obviously, I was devastated, I was depressed. I was like, not you too, not you too. And then other people at the church were like, why are these people leaving? And then, you know, I, it's not like I want to make everybody choose sides in some weird 
debate, all because of some weird podcaster. And I, I remember in that, in that season, I was just reading 1 Samuel, and, and I came upon the story of Shimei. And, and, you know, part of the reason why this all reminded me, because, again, I was having a rough year, and then this dude starts throwing rocks, five-page letters, right? And, of course, coming back to the story of Shimei in 2 Samuel, it actually continues in, in chapter 19. The story actually gets way more interesting. The plot develops with Shimei even more because what happened was is this whole rebellion of Absalom, David's son, it was crushed. Absalom ended up dying and, and David ends up being able to return to the city to become king again, okay? So it's kind of this, you know, awful story, but the chapter, you know, the page is turning. And so David is returning back into Jerusalem to be the king again, except this time he's returning with thousands of soldiers. And take a wild guess who suddenly decided to repent before David for throwing rocks at him. Yeah, shimmy. But of course, everyone knew, you are not repenting. You still hate David. In fact, you, you still hate him with all your heart. You're just worried now because now that David is suddenly back in charge and the fortunes were reversed, now, now he could take your life, right? And so now you're falling before David saying, I'm sorry. And so in that moment, one of David's loyal soldiers once again comes up to him and is like, can you believe this turkey? You know, should I take off his head this time? Like now, now is the time for poetic justice, right? And of course I was like, yes, take him out, right? I'm just being honest, okay? Uh, pastors aren't necessarily more spiritual. They're just, again, I was like, yeah, take him out, David. Put him in a body bag, Johnny. You know, like, remember that? <laughs> Karate kid, nobody. Okay, never mind. You know, because again, wicked people like Shimmy aren't just going to suddenly change their tune, right? And, and yet, check out what David said. It's like, what in the world? 2 Samuel 19, 23 says this. So, so King David said to Shimmy, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Okay, so wait a second. I mean... David's loyal soldiers were standing around like, what? Like, you not only let him live, but then you promised to never kill him regardless of what he does? I mean, David, do you, do you not remember he, he wanted to kill you only a short time ago? He celebrated when your friends were being murdered. Guys who are that wicked don't suddenly become pleasant. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and, and I, I remember when I read that, I, I just, I got so mad inside. I, I was mad at David. It just, it felt unjust to me what he was doing. I'm like, God, what's up with David? What a, like, why? And, and, and the truth was, is I was still grieving. I was still hurt. I was still wounded. And ultimately, I was looking for a, a type of justice that I felt like I wasn't experiencing. I felt like I'm not getting defended in front of people. And, and the truth was, is at that time, I was probably believing a lot of the myths of forgiveness that I talked about this last week. Again, like I shared this last week, I thought forgiveness meant overlooking justice. But to David, it meant activating justice. I falsely thought that forgiveness was letting people off the hook, when in reality, to David, it's letting him off of his hook and putting him on God's hook, right? Again, removing himself as the conduit of justice. Because here's the truth. Here's what David knew 
that I needed to learn, and this was really hard for me to embrace in that season of my life, David knew, especially towards the end of his life, that no one gets away with sin, including him. No one gets away with sin, including David. That a man reaps what he sows. God cannot be mocked. It is a spiritual law of the universe, Galatians 6 says. And, and yet, and David knew that. In fact, outside of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to, to get around it. God is just. And, and so David knew none of his enemies got away with it. Goliath didn't get away with it. Saul didn't get away with it. Doeg didn't get away with it. Ahithophel didn't get away with it. All of them eventually paid for it, with the exception, in my mind, of Shimei. So I was like, what's going on there, right? I mean, like, what, the, why, why, why? Well, see, the only reason I thought that is because I didn't keep reading my Bible. Come on, somebody. In fact, I didn't realize the story of Shimmy was not over. It just kind of disjointed, and it was in another book, right? The, I didn't realize the story of Shimmy continued in 1 Kings 2, right? Because I just kept rereading 1 and 2 Samuel, and then I went right back. I didn't realize there was a chapter 3 to the story of Shimmy, right? So, like, but it took me two years because I, I didn't get there in my Bible for another two years, right? Uh, so... So here I am, two years later, I'm, re- I'm still irritated about that story. And I'm reading in 1 Kings 2, take a, I'm not even, I, I don't have the time to read it to you today, but take a wild guess who got what was coming, Shimmy did. He was caught lying to King Solomon, and bam, guess who got put to death after lying twice, okay? Suddenly I saw what David was doing Way back in the day, his forgiveness of Shimei was not negating justice. Once again, he was activating divine justice. And so just, just coming back to that leader who, uh, who hurt me, who was trying to split substance, I vividly remember finally taking that five-page letter of mean critiques. And I realized that I was ranting a lot against this guy in my head. He was taking up too much space up here. And in that moment, when I suddenly saw what forgiveness really was, I remember lifting up that five-page critique letter to the Lord, and I'm like, God, I get it now. Father, I forgive this person, and right here, through forgiveness, I activate your divine justice. I commit to not dwelling on him anymore. I commit to not ranting about him to all my friends anymore. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I commit to not just getting caught up, just letting him occupy my time, and Father, you have a call on my life that you want me to give my life to, and, and I'm not going to be distracted by this guy anymore. I'm going to completely trust you and commit to retrusting you the moment those thoughts come rushing back in. And, and then, but I did say this. I said one caveat. If there's one thing you could do for me in the midst of this, God, would you have that person who wrote that letter some point in their life, would you have them rediscover that letter and reread it with your perspective and see how demonic it is. I would really appreciate that. And get this, 10 years later, almost to the day that I prayed that prayer, that guy who wrote that letter was cleaning out an old file folder and found his letter and reread it and was horrified by it. He suddenly realized how weird it was, how awful it was, how demonic it was. And so guess who wrote me an email 
right after he, right after he found it, that guy. And he said, Pastor Peter, I have a curse on my life. I have split God's church. I have split your church. And God made it clear to me that I will have a lid on my life until I apologize to you. And I remember like showing it to my wife because she knew about the prayer that I had prayed and she was worried like, oh, Peter, are you triggered by it? At that point, I was like, I don't even care. Who cares, right? God has so thoroughly blessed me. I mean, the hand of the Lord is so clearly on our church, on our lives. He's already vindicated me. He's already validated me. I don't need defending in front of all these people. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think people know what life-giving versus not life-giving looks like over the, over the years. And I, I, by that point, I didn't even care. In fact, the only reason why I even responded to that guy was to give him a sense of peace. Because, you know, I, I started thinking, you know what, despite how painful that was, actually, I'm so glad it happened to me because so many beautiful things came out of that betrayal. Actually, it's a lot of wonderful things, so many wonderful things that, to be honest, if I could change it, I don't think I would. In fact, actually, I'm glad the Lord brought me through that because, I mean, heck, that betrayal inspired entire chapters of my book, Pharisectomy, which ended up blessing tens of thousands of people. I mean, I was able to help all sorts of people as a result of that pain. God literally took that pain and turned it into a platform. And, and not only did God take care of our church, but he eventually surrounded me with hundreds of better leaders who were more life-giving. And, and then on top of that, after 10 years, I get an apology and a bestseller? Come on. Kind of awesome, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I, I know that testimonies like this may not lessen the pain that you're feeling right now. And listen, loved ones, maybe you're here and you've just got, you've got that hurt. Maybe you've got a little shrapnel still hanging out underneath your skin. And, and maybe the Lord needs you to do a little surgery. Maybe you need to do a little therapy, a little counseling. Don't be afraid to go get help for some of these things. I, I, I've had... In fact, actually, it was, it was a counselor who recommended that I read First and Second Samuel as a result of the betrayals that I was going through. And, um, and I look back, though, where it all started was is when I finally activated divine justice through forgiveness. And so here's how I want to end. Is I just want to end with a simple little moment of surrender. If you're here and, and uh, there's someone who, whose failures you're tempted to rehearse, Here's what I want you to do. That's an indication of an area that you might want to turn over to God. And so just close your eyes. Would you do that right here now? Would you just take that individual, or maybe it's an institution. It's not a person, but a thing that has wounded you. And you just need to turn that over to the Lord. I just, I believe that God would ask you today, do you trust me to defend you? Do you trust me to not only take care of the issues of justice in your life, but to pay you back a hundredfold for those things? Do you trust me to work it all around for the good of you and your family? Do you trust me? Just imagine yourself right now taking that person and just surrendering them. I believe that this is a, a holy moment, a divine exchange that God wants you to participate in. And I'm telling you, as you do this divine exchange, you're gonna suddenly feel joy again. You're gonna feel a little trickle of peace again. Really, you're gonna start feeling that childlike innocence coming back. You're all of a sudden gonna start thinking about all the opportunities to do ministry again. It's gonna take you out of a defensive posture and put you right back into that joyful, life-giving, childlike innocence that you had before you were hurt. And Father, you see all the people in this room 
and all the pain that is represented here. And God, you never waste our pain, but you always turn it into something better. I pray that we would become so convinced of that attribute in, your, in, in, in you that, that we would not waste any more time flailing, ranting, rehearsing other people's sins, Lord, but that we would be a people who truly transmits pain rather than, or that transforms pain rather than transmits it. And we're trusting you for this. And, and maybe church, you're here today and this is like a new thing for you. Maybe this whole God thing is new for you. I really believe that just by surrendering to God right here in this moment, that you can actually become a Christian. You can become born again for the very first time. And if that's you, then just pray this after me. Just say this, say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. And if you mean that just between you and the Holy Spirit, say, I mean that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Amen. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.